In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen let's get ready to rumble i'm so stoked everybody i hope you're having a beautiful day i got a legendary show for you today my esteemed guests my friends my colleagues it is a great pleasure that we welcome a true inspiration and a beacon of courage to our gathering today our distinguished guest is not merely a name he's a force of empowerment and positive change Martin, known as the Courage Champion, has charted a remarkable path as a two-time LinkedIn top voice, a prominent entrepreneur, and a leading inspirational speaker. His journey is marked by a commitment to making an indelible impact and achieving unparalleled business success on LinkedIn, a platform that has become a global stage for his transformative message. In the ever-evolving landscape of media, Martin's insights have been sought after and celebrated. His presence has graced the pages and illustrations Publications such as CNN, The Guardian, BBC, World, ABC, SBS, underscoring the universal resonance of his mission. But his contributions extend far beyond the digital realm. He is the visionary founder and CEO of the groundbreaking not-for-profit organization, the World Gay Boxing Championships, with a mission to disrupt hatred, elevate LGBTQIA plus participation, and catalyze change within the sport Martin orchestrated the world's first boxing competition for the LGBTQIA plus community and allies in February 23, coinciding with Sydney World Pride. His work is a testament to his unwavering dedication to inclusivity and diversity. Martin, thank you for being here, my friend. Um, man, what an intro. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, wow. You know, you, you say, hey, I'm meeting you to my mate Marty. And then you go, here's Marty. And I'm like, what, what do I say? How, how do I react to that? What an intro, my friend. Well, the truth is, I'm just trying to soften you up because I, word on the street is you might have something coming up, man. So I'm trying to be as kind as oh. I can to coax it out of you. You know, it's <laughs> easy being the, being the boss, knowing something, but you can't tell other people what it is yet because of timelines. and. Mm-hmm. But there's been months of conversations and planning. And, you know, I, I learned early in my career about keeping your own counsel. 
about when to say things. And, you know, there's, there's a time for everything. But let's just say, might be holding another World Gay Boxing Championships. It's not in Australia. It's going to be very different. It's going to be very different. So you know, part maybe. part of my background in psychology is to talk to people and then try to get them to say things as we go through the conversation. So I'm going to be utilizing some of my technological, philosophical probes here, try to get you to slip up. Just throwing that out there for all my listeners and we'll so, see if I can so, get it. So basically, you're telling me that I shouldn't say it's not going to be held in the UK in case people <laughs> want to think. Is, is that what you're trying to say that it's not going to be held in Germany? It's not going to be held in New Zealand? Is that what you're trying to get to say? <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up. Just getting warmed up here, man. I'm not saying no, anything. I mean, you know, it's, look, uh, I mean, Hawaii is a great place to go on holiday. But Isn't I it? don't think it's yet the city or the state for the next World Gate Boxing Championship. So, you know, we've got so many other countries we can, I can name. So, yeah, you know, you're not going to get out of me. I'm, however much you, you try. Even states in the U.S. would be good ones. I know. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's my home state of New South Wales. Uh, uh-huh. And it's not going to be in Queensland because that's in Australia. And it's not going to be in Western Australia. And... Yeah. Okay. Uh, to be continued here. Let, let me just let me jump in with something right here. I'm going to shift gears, and as someone who's known as the Courage Champion, maybe you can share with my audience who who may know you, who may not know you though. Can you share a personal experience that taught you the importance of courage in your journey? Right. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land Please. where I currently am, Please. the Gamaregal people, and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. And I'd like to extend that respect to all Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, First Nations people. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Now, many people know that last year I had very bad depression. I mean, I've had depression several times in my life. It probably happened about once every 10 years. And I had tremendous support from my Aboriginal friends here in Sydney. You know, I go along to a men's group called the Banner Group, which is a group for Aboriginal men, but it's open to everybody. So I went along to Yarn and Circles and I had people there to support me. There's a guy called Buddy Oldman. He's a proud Aboriginal man who lives in another part of my state. In a few months' time, he wants to be breaking the world record for punching a boxing bag, breaking a Guinness world record. So really, I've seen courage throughout my journey in time here in Australia from Aboriginal and First Nations people. So that's really, I grew up in the UK, but I'm a proud Australian. And I'm proud of the welcome that I've received from First Nations Australians who've been so courageous inspired me with their courage so that that's the first thing for me and that's yeah. what i've never really spoken about before yeah so what well, so it seems to me that like there's been a lot of people probably that we both know and scores of people we don't know that suffer from depression was there something that some sort of wisdom or something different that you learned from going to this this group than maybe a traditional group just the ability to actually share and talk mm. in an environment where everybody is supported and welcomed. So when I'd have depression previously in the corporate world, it hasn't always been that supportive. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's smoke and mirrors. It, it's a yep. policy, but really how supportive is it? 
So I had, as an entrepreneur, I wasn't working because I was organizing the boxing competition. The trolling I had, having to go to the police twice because of people who should know better, but having a group to go and speak with, but having friends who would check in with me, go for walks, that was the difference. It's the courage to be vulnerable, share stories. I'm I'm a big believer there needs to be spaces for people to go to. People may see that as a safe space, a place of strength, but just having somewhere to go to where you can talk openly, be supported, share stories. And that was vital for me. I had such a support network this time when I've had depression. And that helped me through more than anything else, whether through counselling and antidepressants, it was actually the support network and the courage of others to, to be there for me when I needed help the most, whether I knew it or not. I love that. You know, I, I agree that the power of storytelling is something that has, it seems to have been lost in the world of Western medicine and Western corporations and things like this, but it's so powerful because sometimes the reason we find ourselves in these predicaments is the story we're telling ourselves. I'm wondering, talking to these people and listening to stories, were you able to reframe your own story? Was that part of the healing? What it was, it was just been able to validate my story. Okay. and go through the, the challenges of organizing the boxing competition. It was so mm-hmm. stressful. I, I, I can't underestimate the actual stresses of trying to do something groundbreaking. But having that environment where I can just be me yeah. and people help solve some of the problems and just be there, you know, be, be the guiding light in sharing their stories and having those moments where I can just be you know, I'm having a really bad day today and just, just having that while still achieving greatness. So that was the mm. difference. Now, you just mentioned Western medicine. I'm on, I'm a consumer advocate for North Sydney Health Local District. Okay. And I've been on their board consumer committee for the last five years. And I can tell you storytelling is an integral part of the improving healthcare system. And I was at a forum a few days ago, spoke on a panel where there's all these things about co-designing. There was one expert who talked about years ago, the healthcare system, say doctors did something to patients. Then we did something with patients. Now we're doing something for patients. So for patients, and it's like with patients, I got that wrong. But but co-designing, actually listening to consumer advocates, listening to patients' experience, that is now key to improvements in healthcare. And it's such a beauty to see in my state, a healthcare system that I'm involved in and many other health systems are collaborating with patients and consumers and listening to their stories to improve the quality of care. When we think about COVID, getting access to virtual appointments, virtual counseling, and how that can really help as we move forward with telemedicine, COVID made that happen at such a rapid pace but we're now learning from that to improve healthcare through storytelling. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It, in some ways, I think it speaks back to the First Nations people that you were talking about. They they have had, they figured this out a long time ago. And like, we're just kind of catching up for so long. It seems that medicine has been this band-aid we put to make people not feel. But it seems maybe the remedy is like, hey, let's bring this out in front of everybody and solve it together. Well, I mean, I mean, Australia is such a beautiful country, the world's oldest, continuing culture, 65 years of beautiful history. Now, I'm a believer in amplifying other people's messages. So I'm, 
There's something called white saviour syndrome where a white person will say all of those things. And, and I just think that's such a disservice. So yeah, I, I'd love to connect you with somebody who can really share their story, who's an, an awesome person. And, and I'll do that for you after this. Yeah. But what, I, what I've learned is just as listening how people, how generations have shared stories to be custodians of the land, to mm. take care of nature, to work with nature. And I think that is something we can do more of as a, as a global society. The world has gone so angry right now, so polarizing. Yeah. And really, I, are you going to be so angry that you're going to deny people access to healthcare? Are you going to be so angry because of your view that you're going to destroy somebody's opportunities because you don't understand something? You're going to make it harder for people. Like, who, who are you actually fighting? Is it your own community? Because when you target one community, you might be targeting a family member. You might be tar targeting somebody's children, somebody's siblings, through being angry. Does that make you feel better? And that's where the world has gone. And we need to have more community building, listening, learning, storytelling. Because I tell you, world is the world is much better when we work together. When we think about Olympic Games, yep. we've just hosted the women's, co-hosted the Women's Soccer World Cup with New Zealand. And it was fantastic. I tell you, half, although I'm a proud Australian and <laughs> we, like, we, we lost to England, I can tell you like half of Australians watched the Matildas lose to the Lionesses. But it was great to see the Lionesses progress to the World Cup final the best England have achieved since 1966 and how courageous the Spanish women's team were in winning the World Cup. But what did we grapple with afterwards? It wasn't how amazing all these women athletes were. It was one man who should have known better. Right? <laughs> but how amazing were the women in the World Cup? How amazing were the teams? And for me, that's what we need to nurture and develop for all communities and, and celebrate because sport has that power to drive change and really bring communities together. Yeah, it, it's so true. It, in some ways, I think it brings out the universal one. Like when we talk about people being discriminated against or, or withheld things from, in some ways it echoes the, the personal stories of people. Like it, it seems what it might be emerging is this idea that we are just one giant super organism and getting mad at someone or doing something to someone else is like punching yourself in the face. Like it's a dumb yeah. thing to do. It's like, yeah. I, I see it happening. Like, is that when you, when you think about that and you think about suffering and you think about the world moving forward, how did you integrate all of that in setting up this groundbreaking idea for the sport that you did? So I looked what had been achieved in the past. Okay both in LGBTQ plus sports. So the gay game started in 1982. So it's been going for 40 years, holding successful events. I'd seen what had happened in other LGBTQ sporting competitions. So I knew that could be achieved. And I looked at the trailblazers in boxing, you know, Muhammad Ali. Right. What, for me, Muhammad Ali, what he achieved outside of the ring. Yes. And how, how courageous he was. And Michael Parkinson, he, who died a few weeks ago, 
was a famous chat show host in the UK. And I love looking back at the interviews he gave with Muhammad Ali, or Muhammad Ali gave with, with Michael Parkinson. You can see the social change, but part of that, you, you see the social conditioning yeah. and what courage it took for him and others to blaze that trail. So I decided to be the trailblazer. Couple that with corporate experience, I've negotiated <laughs> contracts worth almost $300 million. So knowing how to put together a not-for-profit, how to relationship management, how to have difficult conversations, but build a team of board who have extensive expertise, knowing that I couldn't do this myself, but reach out to other people, communicate the vision, build a global community. That was where my courage came in, my professional skills came in, but I also knew what had been achieved by others. So that was, it's really learning from history, learning from yeah. the present, I suppose my own present and the future is, is, is what's created and, and that's the impact. It's, it, first off, those are great people to look towards to, to create a great future. You know, we gotta look back to the people behind us in order to see where the road is. And as we do that, earlier in this conversation, you were just about to tell us where the new games were gonna be held. I know, and it's, <laughs> it's and it's not in Honolulu. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let me ask you this. So you've spoken about establishing meaningful connections. And what are your top tips for fostering genuine and lasting relationships in both personal and professional spheres? Start from a place of respect. Start from a place of inclusion. And that sounds simple, but it is simple and people make things complicated. So from my professional background in procurement, there are generally four different types of supply relationships. And, and, and I'll use the analogy of you have a cop. You might go to your local supermarket to buy something on, off the shelf, but are you going to trust the supermarket to help you? No. So then next you think your card hasn't gone after a few days. You then go to your local, I think it's in America, it's like your drugstore. We call it right. the chemist or the pharmacist. You'll ask the pharmacist for advice and, and they may say, you might need to take this. And then say the cold, it's not going and you, you've got a bit of a cough. So you go see your GP. You trust your GP more, but you won't see your GP all of the time. Then your GP says, you know what? I'm going to refer you to a specialist and you get a referral and you go see the specialist in a few weeks and say, actually have this. So, so that's very, as a simple analogy. So really in procurement, four types of relationships, you know, those, those strategic partners who you need day in, day out, you know, if, without them, things wouldn't work in an organization. It could be like a Google, an IBM, a Microsoft, core applications, Salesforce, you know, they're, they're strategic partners. Then you have those you know, trusted relationships who you might need. So for example, you have your iPhone, so that's your trusted partner, but you might want to use different apps that you use for your business. So your, your core app might be Stripe for payments, but you then you link that with another application that you use a course for. So you start seeing other types of relationships. Then there are things that you need from time to time. So it could be, you might need somebody to help you develop or design an app. 
So you're going to go to that person and they're going to provide you advice from time to time, maybe support and maintenance, but they're not core to your business. And then you just think like think of one time only. You might be holding an event in Hawaii for a podcast host who keeps asking you questions that you said you're not going to tell the answer to. <laughs> But but in order to prepare for that podcast, you might need to get a new pair of headsets. You get that, that, that one time. So think about the type of relationship that you need or they need. What problems do people need solving? How are you going to address their pain points? How can you add value? Then you can start thinking about making it meaningful because it needs to be meaningful to the other person. Now, in a B2B perspective, you think about your core offering. How does that align with other relationships that exist? You know, how many times do you get a connection request on LinkedIn? Hey, you can sign up to my six-week coaching program. It's going to cost you $10,000. You know, really? They've made no time, time and effort versus somebody who said, you know what, I've been seeing your content for some time. I would like to connect with you because we might be able to help each other through referrals. Now that happens quite commonly. And sometimes those relationships that you form can be life-changing, really opening up doors. And you can do that for them and the other person. So that's where the meaningful relationships come in and you start from a place of respect, respecting another person. I'm sorry, you have no idea what I am. Why am I gonna spend $10,000 on the coaching pro program for, but start from a place of inclusion. I haven't done any boxing training for several months because I hurt my back, but by boxing coach, awesome boxing coach, very inclusive, I'm gonna feel comfortable referring other people to my boxing coach because it's very respectful. So that's that, that's really the, the key of this for me. I think it speaks to the idea of relationships as currency. It's, yeah. it's a fascinating concept. Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. So we think about trust, think about trust, how it's essential yeah. to have trust. So when a corporation has done something wrong and they tell people about it, hey, our systems went down because of this. You need to check your banking details. It's annoying. We want to know what's happened so we can protect ourselves because of the, the cyber criminals. However, when the organization communicates and lets us know, there's more respect there. Yep. How do you feel when something has happened and you weren't communicated with? Then your details are on the unsecure web. But they've known about it for a week, but didn't yeah. tell anybody the difference. Right. And then with trust, with how many times do we get cyber scams? But you're getting constant updates maybe from your bank saying hey these are the things you need to be aware of this is what we now recommend we have a team in place to stop these types of transactions that trust is irreplaceable because you're constantly getting updates and it's not complying with legislation which they need to do but it's about that education and when things go wrong they're telling you this is what you need to do so it's corporation who does something right will be respected by their consumers when they do something wrong they want to repair their reputation quickly but that damage is already done that's that's really the, the crux of this it's trust 
Yeah, it's once once that's lost, it's very difficult to get back. And yeah. it 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 does seem like a simple thing on some levels. Where as long as you're communicating to people, there is this yeah. bridge between you of like I have enough respect for you. I'm going to tell you what's happening because maybe you could be part of the solution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It, it, and it comes back to the storytelling, the co-design, things happening. And trust, you know, when you spend your dollars, you want to think, am I going to get value for that? And I like to support businesses that support the LGBTQ plus and other communities. And we've spoken a lot about inequities and issues with racism and LGBTQ plus homophobia, transphobia. But imagine the difference when people feel included, just from a sport perspective, yep. just from getting better access to mental health, physical health, through boxing or other forms of sport, because those things improve your mental and physical health outcomes. Just something simple, getting access to sports, getting access to training. That shouldn't be that hard, but it is. But when we remove those barriers, think about economic opportunities, a community before didn't have access to the internet. Now people have access to our mobile phones and we're able to do business with people in all parts of the world. Think of a difference to that community when, say, that the parents of one has got a full-time job, the other is running an online business. And that additional income means the family can have a better standard of accommodation or better education for their children. They're now spending more dollars in their local community. So they're now empowering more businesses. So I'm a big believer in actually supporting local businesses because they empower the community. And that's where I, I'm, I'm really disturbed by what people are saying is anti, is woke. I don't know what woke means. Are you against homophobia? Are you against, are you against efforts to reduce racism and homophobia? because you shouldn't be. But the impacts of racism, the impacts of homophobia and other forms of discrimination are so profound. If we remove those, what, what benefits to everybody would there be? Yeah. You know, it's when you think about the economic impact that an event like that can have, it's, it's mind-blowing. You know, I often think of the thriller in Manila, which is a great spot for a boxing organization it, it is it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was a great fight i'm just saying i'm just throwing that it out was there. A really it's a good great fight. location a really good fight it was a really good fight well okay so if we building here's another part that i think speaks to this and it's this idea of vulnerability communication and integrity and honesty and that's something else you do is building online like if i look at the community that you've built online in front of everybody this is kind of a newer thing too where people are beginning to yeah. build things in front of people and because you've been successful at it and so many people are trying to figure out how to do it and you've been very honest with hey i messed up here i could have done this better here i think that really yeah. leaves awesome science for people to follow can you speak to this this idea that's emerging of building online so attention is the new oil is, is a phrase that yeah. really resonated with me. So if we think about influencers, followers versus people we want to follow. What following do you have rather than how many followers you have? If you're being authentic, mm. it comes back to the storytelling, relatability, authenticity. They build trust. 
So 80% of B2B decision makers are using online content to help in their decision-making process for their buying process. Recommendations, referrals. You think if you have people you know, like, and trust refer to you through a LinkedIn recommendation, how much currency that has because we trust what other people say. So start from that perspective. I use something, I recommend something called the MC Run Successful Formula, which is your message and your content equals your relationships, opportunities, and networks. So Simon Sinek, it starts with why. It resonates with so many people. And through his content, you know that TED talk where he's just drawing circles on flip charts? We all remember that. And then how many relationships has that opened up for him? How many opportunities has that opened up for him? How many networks has that opened up for him? But through his TED talk and message, how many other people have had relationships, opportunities and networks because of that? So if you have a very simple, clear and consistent message, you build a community around that. So your content, content isn't just posting videos or carousels. It's how you communicate, it's how you show up, how you comment, how you message, how you go to networking events. That's how you start to drive and build success and you get capture the right top type of attention. And that's what people, they started doing that as there's gonna be more digital disruption. AI is, is being used more and more. For me, AI isn't there yet. You know, I put something in ChatGPT, I don't like how it sounds. On LinkedIn, I can see who's used ChatGPT in their content because it doesn't sound like them. But ChatGPT is great for research. Chat, AI is great for actually helping diagnose things in, in, in various formats or helping you maybe edit something or analyze something. Technology should always be there to help people. It should never be the other way around. And then technology will replace functions that people do, but it should free us up to do more and more. But if you think about your message, your content, and how you maybe use AR or other platforms to do that, never lose your soul, never lose your core message, who you are. Because AI can't replace you going to work. It can probably replace some of the things that you do, but it can't replace a conversation you have with a friend. Yep. You can't replace people. It's like the ultimate decoration. You know, it can really yeah. make you illuminate the path going forward, but it's never going to walk the path for you. No. <laughs> that, and, and, and AA can't replace the host city for the World Game Boxing Championships. No. <laughs> it, 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 it can't create an event in Paris where it's not going to be. But it could give you a list of potential places. What, what did it, it give could. you? <laughs> it, it gave me, it gave me Paris. It gave me Melbourne. It gave me cities where it's not going to be held. It gave me Honolulu. <laughs> so I'm actually thinking if I take the first letter of all the places you've named, people will figure it out. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there, people. You may want to go back and re-listen to this podcast. You know? Yeah. So your workshop, one of your workshops on LinkedIn emphasized building a personal brand. Can you provide examples of individuals who have successfully leveraged LinkedIn to create a powerful personal brand and the results they achieved? Genetic, Bob. <laughs> he sure did. Just pure magic. How he, his humor, 
yeah. his messaging, his unique ability to connect with people in a way which is so simple, so personal. I've just come off his weekly live visit consulting room, does really well. He's just gone out there. He's been himself. Gloria Tarby here in Australia. She, in my view, she's Australia's best trainer in anti-racism. She's published several books. Her message on LinkedIn is so clear and the way she engages with people is so humble. It's so open, she's just open to communication. We called up a few months ago, we went for a walk in the Blue Mountains. It's an area a few hours to the west of Sydney, which is where the comp boxing competition is not going to be <laughs> held. But we, we'd never actually met in person, but we had had such that deep connection we just went for a walk, had lunch, and her message on LinkedIn is so clear and how successful she has been on LinkedIn. Rena Streel here, here in, in, in Perth, in Western Australia, where the next championships are not going to be held. Her online presence is amazing. and She's been using AI in some of her content, and she has such a simple way of connecting a message and resonating with the audience. So those are just three people, a multitude yeah. of people who've created successful businesses. You know, Roy Kowarski, Jenny Baz, who've been co-hosts of my Courage Corner, who have been very successful on LinkedIn. And, you know, it's, it's, it's how we connect and grow with each other because we've been able to support each other's businesses and messages. It's so fascinating to me to see the, the creator economy and the way in which content is actually reaching through, you know, it's just connecting people throughout the world together. And it's really disrupting the legacy media. Is this a trend that you see continuing to happen? Or if you were to speculate on the future, what might like the future of the creative, creator economy look like? It's basically just going to be as new normal. So I think things will evolve. I, I mean, there are a lot of platforms that are emerging. You know, I've never been on Twitter, X, so it's not called probably won't, won't go on there. I have used Instagram. Don't use it too much. I don't do anything on Facebook. I've done a bit on TikTok. What I really like about TikTok is how it's really just opened up communities. And TikTok has really changed. You know, there's more thought leadership on TikTok. They've really opened up purchasing and selling on TikTok. I've listened to a TED talk and the CEO of TikTok and the things that he was talking around safeguarding we talk about all the trolling and, and, and work that has been what they've done to help remove online bullying you know it's, it's not it's not going to go away but so at least companies are starting to do more and, and they could do much more but i but i think what the creator economy and attention economy is doing is actually bringing our ability to have those human conversations that we would have in a coffee shop or in a meeting to actually you just do that in, in an omnipresent way. So that's what I think it, it will be doing. I think that's probably the way it should be going. And if you do it well, you'll get a, a following rather than followers because it mm. it's vanity metrics. Well, you may get a dopamine hit, but really on LinkedIn, they don't pay the bills and they do for some people, but it's exactly it's the, 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 the connections you make it's the relationships that you make because after 15 years in tech procurement i can tell you 
if somebody said, I've had 100,000 followers on LinkedIn, is that going to get you an appointment? No. But if you had a good following and the CIO was seeing your message, was seeing your content, and you wanted a meeting with that CEO and you had a mutual connection, you had that relationship, you reach out to that mutual connection. Hey, I'd love to meet with the CEO. I think I can help them. I bet you that person will be able to get you that introduction through the door and that CEO will look at your profile and will make, yes, I want to meet with this person. That's what people maybe don't fully understand. Yeah, I, I I don't think I thoroughly understood that. Thank you for laying that out there. Yes. It's, it's it's wonderful, and I it's amazing to see it unfold that way. And and that's isn't that LinkedIn has a different type of business model? They're not really ad based; they're more like per subscription based, right? And and people it, are paying for that. They, like that? they I mean, LinkedIn's business model and a subscription based uh, the corporate training. So obviously, corporations will sign up to to LinkedIn and that, that adds as well. What, what LinkedIn has done very well is in their recent changes to the algorithm is allow people to focus on building their network rather than just trying to go viral. LinkedIn don't want you to go viral. But the phrase which resonates with me is content grounded in knowledge and advice. So mm. think about you operate a marketing business and you, it's a niche marketing business that helps chief marketing officers establish their presence and brand and become a trusted authority. And you only work with chief marketing officers and people aspiring to be a chief marketing officer. So that, that's your target market. Right. So with LinkedIn, what they're saying is focus on that target market. Now, would you want to be connected with HR managers, chief financial officers, engineers everybody else in the co in the company that is not related to the chief marketing officer or aspiring chief marketing officers because you're missing you're missing out completely whereas if you focus on helping chief marketing officers and aspiring chief marketing officers that's who you focus your content for that's how you start to build relationships that's where you're going to be more successful now your expansive network may have access to chief marketing officers and aspiring chief marketing officers and they'll see your message and your content they can be your referral network they can be your people who, who connect you to the people you don't yet have access to and that's the differences another analogy i use if, if you're selling sneakers on amazon will you be targeting televisions and cameras now you'll be selling selling sneakers so make sure you're finding the right market to sell to and my course, which I designed, is to take people from having a quality profile. You know, the basics, a solid profile. If your profile is all over the place, people don't know what you stand for. Having a clear message, the MC1 formula, having quality content, and then how to become a trusted authority and how you sell through your content through the customer roadmap, awareness, consideration, deciding, retention and advocacy and how to find and influence decision makers and generating that those warm leads through your network so that's what i've designed in my course to really to help entrepreneurs business owners sales professionals anyway we want to enhance their presence that's what I, i've done and then 
speak in my course you know i'm, yeah. I'm going to give you a price of a city where the war gate boxing jam is, is not going to be held next time <laughs> i was just going to ask if you used your funnel to figure out where to be out of so when you put together these courses and and you help out a lot of different people I do you ever find that you right now i'm sorry oh that's okay how about now is my is my mic on now so i'll continue i'll, I'll okay. continue speaking okay as a speaker when things go wrong this is the thing to <laughs> how about continue now? talking i, I yes but what, what i love about technology when 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 things go wrong, you just keep messaging. So I'm going to message yeah. David. Anything now? Check, check, check. Nothing? No? Oh, yeah. Right. So I can, we'll, I can we'll hear you fine. Here. Man, nothing now. No? <laughs> no. Right. I'm going to name a couple of other cities where the championships are not, are not going to be held. It's not going to be held in Buenos Aires or Rio de Janeiro or Sao Paulo, even though I love Argentina and Brazil. And it's not going to be held in Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, Berlin. So it's not going to be held in Europe. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. So I've just got a message saying, shucks, I'm all plugged in. <laughs> So one thing that I might be able to do is actually seize ownership and take over this podcast and say things about George <laughs> that he might not be able to get back because I'm not sure if other people are hearing what he's saying. Hello, hello, hello. So, Nothing now. George, he was very cheeky in an intro, you know, not getting my permission with this video that he produced about me and things about boxing and you know you know making a cartoon out of one of my posts and taking things without my permission so if we were to do the same for george what would it be about now i had yellow hair in my first boxing fight and it was a yellow mohawk so and people have called me tintin from that so i'm thinking we could get george training for the boxing championships and I reckon he would be cool to have a blue mohawk because I just think he's got that specific blue character. So I, I reckon I can get George in a blue mohawk. And what weight division would he be? Now, if we can put, if we can get him carb loading, lots of carbs, doing lots of weights, bulking up, we can get him fighting Mike Tyson. 130 pounds. That's not what it is. I'm saying kilos. It's probably like a a welterweight, a light welterweight. But I, I reckon I can get George against Mike Tyson. And I reckon if we said, you know, Mike, George has been really mean about you on his podcasts. He's been saying all of these things. If I were you, I'd be having a few words with him at the weigh-in and also in the face-off because I, I I think some of the things that George I ought to fight Floyd Mayweather. So this is where it comes to the attention economy, because that's what Floyd has done really well. He's created such a business outside of his brand, you know, and he fought Jack. I can't remember the name of the UFC fighter. Well, I should know. I can't, I can't, you know, McGregor. Yeah. He fought McGregor. 
and he fought uh, Jake Paul. Logan Paul, I might have both of them. So what he's done very well is build his business through the attention economy. Now, some people may not have approved of those fights, but, you know, they were a commercial success. And I can tell you as an amateur boxer, you know, people have criticised influencers getting in the ring, but just seeing that the, the standard of having... Floyd, sorry, of, of Logan Paul and Jake Paul, the standard that they're boxing is very impressive. So I'll give them their dues. Would I ever have one of those fights? It's interesting because one of the things for the next championships is is maybe seeing if we can get some creators in there. So that, that's one thing. Can I hear you? Can How about you now? Something? Can you hear me now? Check, I can check, hear check. now. Yes, I can I'm hear back. You now. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> did you purposely mute me so you could do that? I did. I did. You, yeah, you I did. did I draw out where the fight was going to be and now you're upset? I you did. You did. It's <laughs> gonna be you fighting Mike Tyson with a blue mohawk. <laughs> I would wear a blue mohawk. I would I'd get in there and fight a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't know how well yeah. I'd do, but I'd throw some punches in there if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what was it like transforming? I read a little bit about the transformation it took. You know, you had, you had never boxed before. You fell in love with the sport. Maybe you can speak to that transformation with mindset, body, and, and, and overall reality building. So many people have heard my story. I'm going to give a very short okay. back, background. So Please. in 2006, I was in two comas because I had gallstones blocking my liver. During my time in the two comas, I had these dreams which became living nightmares and there was a cause of PTSD. I had a tracheotomy, which is my, my worst fear. I also have the rare autoimmune condition, Addison's disease. So my body doesn't produce cortisol. So cortisol is your body's stress producing hormone. So imagine if you had a major infection, a major illness, your cortisol levels go like this. Mine don't, my body doesn't produce cortisol. So what I need because I have to take replacement tablets, but when I get sick, I can get very sick. An analogy would be a marathon runner not being able to have drink water as they're running through the marathon. They wouldn't survive very long, probably. So at the end of 2017, I almost died from Addison's disease, and that experience brought back the memories of being in the comas and to help combat the PTSD, underwent self-defense training and boxing training. And I describe it as boxing discovered me, fell in love with the sport. And for me, that was empowering. It was courageous. Boxing taught me that I mattered more than I was giving myself credit for. I was telling me you could throw anything at me. I would just deal with it. So it gave me that sense more of that self-respect. It gave me a platform to share my voice and courage. I describe it as a butcher becoming a, a vegan. Imagine somebody, somebody goes hunting becoming a vegan or vice versa. So that, that's how I describe the transformation. I love it. It's a, it's a great way to, to see it and to get to experience both sides of it. In, order, in some ways, I think it develops a coherent relationship with violence because we are violent in some ways, right? How I see this is really about channeling, how you channel okay. your energy. So it's so empowering to focus on the bag to focus on the pad and to actually really con control your emotion and to exercise fear. 
Mm. You know, you're scared of something and you can really focus. For me, that's what boxing has given me. Also, it's the respect, the respect that you have for the person you might be sparring with. We touch gloves when we spar because it's sign of respect. We hold the ropes up to know the person to enter or exit the ring. We go to the other corner at the end of the fight. Well done. What a great fight. There's, there's that immense respect. There's also the respect that you find where you train your boxing crew, people who are there for you. So, yes, it's a violent sport. However, for me, there is a, it's the one thing that is absent is the violence and the violence that you may see on the street because it's really, it's about respect. It's about supporting others. It's about empowering yourself. It's about working through barriers. You've probably come across countless examples of where somebody was probably on the wrong road, maybe going on the criminal road, but they started martial arts. They started boxing training or something else and it gave them that self-discipline. It gave them that psychological strength, that self of self-respect. And you could do that through other media. It could be art, it could be design, but finding your thing for you that, that gives you that impetus, really. And, and for me, that was boxing. For me, there I'm a big fan of language, whether it's words or whether it's symbols or but is it isn't there a, a beautiful form of language that you can find not only in dancing but in boxing or maybe just in body movement? Have you recognized that as well? Uh absolutely. You know, you think ballet, you think about ballet dancers yeah, would make yeah. great boxers and boxers would make yeah. great ballet dancers. You know, Mike Tyson, I could say Mike Tyson, Muhammad, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, you know, it's, it's a light movement and you have the hips, let's move your hips and all, all of those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. But there's, I really enjoy watching amateur boxing because three by two minute rounds, three by three minute rounds, you mm. really see the skill, mm. you see the position, you see the focus, you know, the, the third round in an amateur boxing match, especially something like the Olympic Games. You know where that could be win or lose get through to the next round or win the title it's like wow so much energy you you see the passion you see the skill you see the determination because you have such a short period of time to win you know in the professional rounds you, know, you might have 12 by three minute rounds or eight by two you you have a longer period but in amateur boxing it's three rounds it's the third round or often it's won or lost. And for me, that's excitement because you see their passion, you see their skill, but you see the crowd getting behind everybody. Yeah. You know, what, what do you think would happen if we took Floyd back to the days of Sugar Ray and, and, and Hearns and Hagler? You think he'd hang, you think he'd, he'd hold his own in the, with those guys? Yes, he would. <laughs> he just has that. And he's got it. He's got that innate confidence. We've seen the commercial success, the business success that he has had. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 one. He might be one of the great. He's without a doubt one of the greatest. I mean, his record reflects that, and his style, and his the fact that no one can really even hit him is pretty amazing. Yeah. So uh, one of my absolute boxing heroes right now is Chris Eubank Jr. You know, he won against Liam Smith a few weeks ago. Now. 
watching the homophobia that Chris Eubank Jr. was subjected to in the pre-bout press conference during the year, you know, Liam Smith, who has apologized and I acknowledge and I accept the apology, you know, insinuations that Chris might be gay. Chris spoke out, wore a rainbow flag at the weigh-in, was a proud ally. At the end of his first fight, it was around February with Liam Smith, a spectator, this is not a fan, a spectator was able to make it ringside and call Chris the F word, puff, and the C word. So this is the impact of hate. So here you have an amazing straight male boxer being subjected to homophobic abuse. Here we have a straight male boxer standing firm, being such a huge ally, proud to be an ally. I can't tell you what that means to me as the CEO of the World Gate Boxing Championships. And I can't tell you the difference because I know people who, who will be champions in the years ahead who just want to fight, you know, based on who they are. But I don't think any boxer, any straight boxer, would not be impacted if they were called, I'll say the word, if they were called a faggot by the crowd for 12 by three minute rounds, if they were shouting faggot at them. Imagine if you went training and that's the abuse you were getting. And everything else and you know racism people get such horrific racist abuse imagine having to put up with that i don't think anybody would survive i don't think they would thrive i don't think because really ex the expectation is that you must put up with that to be successful that's nonsense mm. not enough has been done to remove that abuse whether it be homophobia racism transphobia and that's a problem I want to solve. Imagine the difference. And we've seen Floyd supported yeah. with people being supported. Fantastic. We accept you for who you are. We want you to succeed. The difference. The crowd. Not fag out. We're fans of you. Awesome. Well done. Go for it. You're in your corner. Your difference. Right. And that's yeah. where hate is right now. Because too many people finding it acceptable for that abuse to be given and not enough people find it unacceptable to stop that abuse. That's why things keep happening. Do you think events like this in some ways by putting it out in the spotlight, make more people accepting of it or does it make it worse in some ways or, or is it both? No, more accepting, more Good. accepting. Good. Yeah. People, like, so 90% of LGBTQ plus people consider homophobia, transphobia, transphobia a problem in sport. We can participate in sport at half the rate of the wider population, anywhere from five to 20 times more likely to attempt suicide. Mm. That's some, some stats and the abuse that I've had online, the abuse that I've had myself and deal with it, a courageous guy. And I tell you, I had to come off social media for four months because I was at the point, I don't 
that abuse that we're getting, it was mild compared to other people, wasn't good for me while I had depression. Yeah. Now imagine, you know, people have been physically attacked in the community. So if that problem isn't bad enough, you know, I've had things such as, oh, you're segregating the community. You're making the problem worse. You're the reason why there's a problem in the first place, right? If people don't understand why there is a problem in the first place, then I'm sorry, that, that's their issue. Because there are so many allies, there are so many supporters, there's so many people who have had this conversation and they go, I understand this. Because I've said on countless, mm-hmm. countless interviews, I want the reason I set this up to stop. So I no longer need to have the World Gay Boxing Championships. It may continue in, in, in future forms, but I want the reason for it to no longer exist. Mm. The reason why we need LGBTQ plus and community supporting events is because there's homophobia, transphobia, racism, etc. That's why you have women-only classes. That's why you have things because people know what to feel safe that they can train. So I think what you're trying to say is the next event's going to be in Vegas. I'm, I might be saying that. But... <laughs> I mean, Turkey. Yeah, you said, did, did you say Turkey? Was that what it was? No, it's not <laughs> going to be in Ankara or Istanbul. I mean, I mean, because Bris Vegas, you know, because <laughs> Brisbane, which is a beautiful city, and Brisbane mm-hmm. is going to be hosting the 2032 Olympics. We call Brisbane Bris Vegas. <laughs> now, we might hold it again in 2032 in mm-hmm. Brisbane. No. You're not going to tell me, are you? I'm not, no. <laughs> well, it's not from lack of me trying, Martin. Yeah. I think there's a but code might, in there somewhere. There is, and it might, it might be slightly different to what we held in Sydney. You know, it might not. It might be doing things in a slightly different way, <laughs> but just not, not going to share. <laughs> How dare you come on my podcast and tease me with this? Well, I love it. Mate, mate let, let's face it. That this is now my podcast because <laughs> you, 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 you decided to unplug and leave me with an audience watching so that I could speak. You know, it, it's now it's unfair of you to then come back on it and try and take this back. It's actually a segment I call Unplugged, and it's where I allow my guests to have some moments to see what they'll do. Well, really, as this is now my podcast, I'm inviting you to unplug so I can continue now speaking to my audience because Floyd will be the next guest because I've decided Floyd is going to be your sparring partner because he's best buddies with Mike and with your carb loading. Yes. yes, We're we're going to get you up to 340 in the next three months. And we're gonna then you might drop down to maybe 220. It's gonna be a roller coaster for you. I love it. Martin, this has been it exceeded my expectations. I really appreciate your time. I love what you're doing, and I love the fact that you're multifaceted and you're working in two different camps in the physical world, online, you're building relationships, and you're bringing a lot of attention to a lot of really cool issues that I think makes the community better and all of us better. And I, I really appreciate you taking time to reach out and, and speak with me and, and doing what you're doing. And I love the workshops that you're doing on there. All the information you're giving out is, is really cool and it's really helpful. And um, before I let you go though, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? 
So for my course, please go to courses.modernstark.co. So what I have coming up in my audio room, I have been running them at 5 p.m. Sydney time, but I'm going to be changing that to more of a lunchtime in Sydney because of time zone changes. Uh, many people from the UK wouldn't have to, I would either have to move it to 7 o'clock my time to get 8 a.m. UK time. But for my summer, our summer, I'm going to be moving the courage corner to a lunchtime in Australia, which will mean people in America will be able to join at your evening time. So that's what we have coming up. I have a boxing competition coming up. Well, what was that at again? I have a boxing competition coming up. <laughs> no, no, not where, not what, where, where. Before I let you go, just go ahead and tell the people where it's going to be. So in in Las Vegas, <laughs> there's a guy called George fighting Mike Tyson, and he's going to be cornered by Floyd blue Mayweather, <laughs> the blue mohawk, and Mike is going to be cornered by Jake Paul. Fair enough. Well, hang on one, hang on briefly afterwards, Martin. I want to speak to you real briefly afterwards. But to yeah. ladies and gentlemen and our friends and our colleagues and everyone who got to hang out with us today, I really appreciate your time. I hope you have a beautiful day. And that's all we got. Go down and check out the links. Check out Martin and reach out to him. He's an amazing individual. And that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.